Amen, amen. If you would, uh, grab your Bible, turn over to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 3. I mentioned, mentioned this morning at the end of the service that I don't know if this will be more encouraging or just brutal like this morning, so uh, we'll, see, we'll see how it goes, but uh, hopefully uh, it'll help you out tonight. Re- uh, Revelation chapter 3, probably uh, pretty familiar, and uh, I've got a couple thoughts that are slightly more unfamiliar probably to you, and just a different, different thought process maybe about the passage, so, uh, or maybe not at all. So here we go. Uh, but Revelation chapter 3 and verse number 14 Bible says, and unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write these things, saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou art cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see as many as I love I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous therefore and repent. Behold I stand at the door and knock and if any man hear my voice and open the door I will come in unto him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Uh, and so, of course, this is uh, the angel speaking to the church at the Laodiceans. Uh, and we know, uh, and we've covered it plenty of times in this church especially, uh, but we look at those churches, and I believe uh, that there's a multi-layered uh, you know, application for these passages. Uh, you've got the seven churches, and the seven churches were literal churches in the time that John is writing the book here, and I believe the Lord's giving a special message to them. Uh, I personally believe that these churches will reappear in the tribulation time, uh, and that is why you get some weird tribulation references throughout the passage, but uh, that could be neither here nor there. Uh, but what really is uh, I'm looking at is over the course of time, we have seen the Lord lay out these churches as a timeline of the church age and the types of churches that we've seen and uh, the attitude, the general spirit of the age for the church, uh, the body of Christ that is living at that particular time. And as we get here, we're obviously at the last church. We're at church number seven, and it's the church of the Laodiceans. And this church in particular, uh, I believe, is right where we are. Uh, Laodicea, uh, those, that word breaks down, uh, if you were to go with just the simple meanings of the words, breaks down into two halves, Leo or Laos, uh, which is the people. And, uh, of course, the Deceans uh, would be the rights of the people, the power of the people, the authority, the rule, the judgment of the people. That's what it's all about. Uh, we live in a day and a time where it's all about what the people want, uh, right? We go through things and it's, well, the people's rights and it's civil liberties. And, uh, you know, we got to make sure that everybody is equal. And 
Now, one place in the Bible, I mentioned this this morning, uh, God doesn't make everything equal. <laughs> he didn't. Uh, he didn't make everything equal. And the truth of the matter is uh, that it's not equal and it's not supposed to be equal. Uh, you get to the book of Leviticus and an adult is worth more than a child and a man is worth more than a woman. If you're buying them as a slave, the purpose of slavery is to enslave them and to put them in servitude and do manual labor most of the time. And let's just face it, there's a reason that you would have a man be worth more than a woman in manual labor. That's just normal. Uh, and that's logical. But you tell that to a world today, and they go, oh, well, no, we want equality. Uh, I won't get into too far of these things, because this will just get me all off on some other stuff that I don't want to be in. Uh, but you realize that uh, they want equality in areas. They don't want equality across the board. They want, they want equality in an office building, not building an office building. That's what they want. Uh, that's not the same thing. That's uh, not at all the same thing. You ask them simple questions, and you know what they want? We want more rights. We want more rights. People in general, you know what they want? Well, we want more rights. It's about my rights. Well, what more rights do you want? Well, we don't know. <laughs> we don't have an answer to that question. You ask, some, you ask somebody, well, uh, what more freedoms do, does, uh, you know, a white uh, man have in this world that you don't have? And anybody who is not a white man goes, I don't know, but I want them. In our country, the liberties are there. Now, you may not have that same thing in another country, and you may not have those same things, but here, you have those things. But even in a country where things are as equal as they're going to be, you know what you have? The outcry for rights. The day and age that we live in, you know what you have? You have a great outcry for my personal rights. I want what I want. Don't I have the right to be what I want to be? Don't I have the right to have what I want to have? And shouldn't you pay for what I have <laughs> so that I can have it? Because aren't I, I am entitled. That's the day and age we live in. We live in a day and age where everybody goes, no, I have the right to tell you what I want you to know, and you have to do what I tell you to do, because I have the right to do so. That's the world we live in. That's the mentality of the world, and it creeps into the church. And the church, and the people in the church, their statement is, well, uh, I want rights. Okay, you have the right to assemble. There you go. You're here. Uh, Brother Andrew chose the songs this evening. I didn't choose the songs this evening. Brother Andrew chose the songs. You say, why? Because that's what he does. <laughs> well, I want to choose the songs. You don't have the right. You don't have the right. Say, who has the right? He does. Say, why? Because the authority gave him the right. He gets to choose. Well, I don't want to sing that song. Okay, try and sing whatever song you want to sing. Well, we're singing what we're singing. Probably won't go that well. Say, that sounds really silly, but that's what people want. Well, I want it my way, and I want it how I want it, and I want all these things, and it creeps in to the mentality of the people in churches, and you know what you get? You get people who go, God, I don't care what you said. I want what I want. And that's the problem we have today. 
The problem we have in the churches today is that people's answer is, well, I want what I want. I don't care what God told me to do. I don't care what God wanted me to do. I don't care what the Bible said. I want what I want, and it's my way or it's no way. Well, I feel that doesn't matter. It, I, I'm sorry if your feelings are hurt, but it didn't change what the, what the Bible told you to do. See, that becomes the issue now. Well, well, you know, I just I don't feel like that could possibly be okay, but the Bible said it, so now you've got a choice to make. The question of are my rights and what I feel like and I have the right to do whatever I want to, okay, shall we continue in sin that grace might more abound? Well, God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein, Paul says. God forbid what? That I would continue to do what I want to do all the time. But that's the spirit in the age. The spirit in the age is, well, I'm going to do what makes me feel good. So instead of coming and singing some good music, I want to sing all this weird rock stuff and bring that stuff in so we can make everybody feel better. The preacher gets up and, well, he doesn't want to, you know, don't, don't mention sin and don't mention hell and don't mention, and you, you just, you know, don't mention any of those things. If you mention those things, people get uncomfortable. I like to make people uncomfortable. In case you're curious, if you didn't know that, you should have been here this morning. You'd have found out how uncomfortable everybody could be. Um, and you get into sin. You know what the problem is? Righteousness is the problem. Nobody wants it. They want to be right without having righteousness. And you can't have both. In order to be right, you've got to be on the same page with God Almighty. And we're going to get into that in a minute. But it's all about the rights of the people and what can we get and what can I have and how come God does that for you and he doesn't do that for me and how come God does these things for so-and-so but I don't get any of those things and how come, how, how come I don't get to do, do you know all those things? Why didn't they ask me to be a deacon and why didn't they ask me to take up the offering and why didn't they ask me to go and do this and do that? And that's your problem. Your problem is I want. You watch out for folks that what? That want the preeminence. They want to go ahead and take all that stuff. And you get to Revelation chapter 3 and you have the church of the Laodiceans. And we're going to look at that church tonight because ultimately this is the place we're in and we've got to watch out for ourselves that we don't get into this place. And so this is a cautionary tale right here for this church, I believe. I don't rightly think I'm going to bring too much conviction upon you maybe maybe there's something but the truth is this is more of a warning hey we don't want to be in this condition uh, I'm going to end with the, with the thought and the truth that you and I do not have to although we're living in an age that is a Laodicean age you don't have to be a part of it and you don't have to go with it you can stand out and be outstanding at being a good Christian and being part of a good church and so let's have a word of prayer, and we'll, we'll get into the church at the Laodiceans. Our Father, I thank you for the night. I thank you for bringing us here. I thank you for your safety and your comfort. But Father, I do thank you for a book that we can open tonight, and I pray that you would help me to preach it with clarity of thought and mind and be able to say all the right things, nothing more and nothing less. I pray I wouldn't belabor anything too long, but Father, I pray that the idea and the message that you have tonight, I pray that the words would be your words so that you can be honored and glorified. Lord, I thank you for uh, just bringing in some folks tonight, and I pray for the 
uh, full for family, Father especially, Lord, that it would be a blessing to them and an encouragement to them. I pray, Lord, you would just bless their ministry, uh, Lord, over in the Philippines. And, Father, you'd take care of their family while they're here in the States, Lord. And once again, we pray that uh, Jesus Christ would be high and lifted up. You'd be with our pastor tonight. You'd continue to strengthen him and help him to recover well from the sickness he's dealing with. And we pray, even so, come Lord Jesus tonight. For it's in his name we pray, amen. Amen. So here you are in Revelation chapter 3 and uh, the church of the Laodiceans. And the first thing we want to see is the condition of the church. Uh, the condition of the church, there's three classifications the Lord gives in verse number 15. And I want you to think just for a moment. He says, I know thy works that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou art cold or hot. Verse 16, so then because thou art lukewarm, I will spew thee out of my mouth, right? Uh, we know... Uh, we know there's three conditions right here that he references. Now, uh, I, I know the normal teaching, all right? The normal teaching is hot, I'm fervent for the Lord. Cold, I'm far away from him and I'm doing absolutely nothing. And lukewarm, I'm riding the fence, right? That's, we've all heard that. Strangely enough, though, the Lord's statement is, I would that thou art cold or hot. Now, I'm going to start with hot because that one's pretty self-explanatory. Uh, but look over at Jeremiah. This is, where, this is what I think of when I think of that phrase, I would that thou art cold or hot. In Jeremiah chapter 20, if you know what's happened to Jeremiah the prophet, uh, he has been thrown into prison, right, for preaching, for teaching the truth, for going ahead and making the right prophecy. And in Jeremiah chapter 20, he says in verse number 7, O Lord, thou hast deceived me, and I was deceived. Thou art stronger than I, and hast prevailed. I am in derision daily. Everyone mocketh me. For since I spake, I cried out. I cried violence and spoil, because the word of the Lord was made a reproach unto me, and a derision daily. Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. He's quitting. But his word was in mine heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. You say, what do you think of when you think of, I would that thou art cold or hot? Uh, when I think of hot, I think of that phrase right there. His word was as a fire burning in me, shut up in my bones, and I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. There's somebody who just couldn't keep their mouth shut. That's somebody who's hot. They can't, they can't manage to keep their mouth shut. Every time something comes up, uh, they just seem to be able to speak about Jesus Christ and what great things the Lord hath done and how amazing he is and what happened at church this week. And, all the, and they're that, that person that's just so annoying to everybody else because they just all they do is just keep talking about the Lord and how wonderful he is. And say, so that's somebody that I think would be hot, all right? Uh, that's, that's the hot side, right? We understand that. Uh, it's fervency, it's burning, it's a passion, it's passionate about their Savior. But then you have the opposite, right? You have cold. And I know the normal teaching, and I don't disagree with the normal teaching, but I did have this weird thought. The word cold shows up in the Bible, I think it's 15 or 17 times, something like that. Uh, not very often. And I'm looking down the references, and most of the references about the seasons, you know, cold and winter and heat and summer and all those things, 
He talks about the north, and out of the north cometh the cold. He says that in Job. That's strange. You say, why? Because promotion cometh not from the east, or from the west, nor from the south, but God. And God's from the north. Turn over to Proverbs, chapter 25. And I know the wicked man, he takes the, he takes the, the, the garments in the cold from people and he's you know, a wicked man and those kind of things. Those show up. But uh, Proverbs chapter 25, I wonder if maybe the Lord was thinking about this. And I could be totally wrong, but look at verse number 13 first. Proverbs 25, 13, As the cold of snow in the time of harvest, so is a faithful messenger to them that send him. For he refresheth the soul of his masters. Well, he just likens snow to a faithful messenger. Isn't that what we're supposed to be? A faithful messenger and we would refresh our master? Well, look down at verse number 25. Say, well, that's just that one. Okay, verse 25. This one's the more familiar one. He says, as cold waters to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. In Matthew, he tells him if you bring him a cold drink of water, that he'd bless you for it forever. He'd remember that forever. A cold drink. Say, what could he be referencing? Well, maybe it's not that the person is far from him. Maybe it's not the question of, I would, that it's not, maybe it's not that he's so fed up, I would that thou art cold or hot, meaning uh, you're one extreme or the other. Maybe it's that you're so hot that he, you can't shut up about him, and you're so cool to everybody else that you're always refreshing them. You know, the Lord needs both. If we're all hot and on fire and burning, there's nobody that's refreshing. We're all getting burned out. And there's a time of refreshing. And maybe the Lord goes, I wish you were hot and burning and unable to shut up about me or that you were a refreshing drink to everybody I sent you to. What if that was what he meant by cold and hot? Say, well, I don't know if that's true. Me neither. But boy, there's a lot of scripture piling up. Maybe it's not, I wish you were either close to me or far from me. Maybe it's, I wish you were either unable to be quiet or you were always just refreshing somebody. And you were just a cold drink of water to somebody. But the sad reality of this church that he is talking to back there in Revelation chapter 3, if you would, Revelation chapter 3, The sad reality for this church is he wants them to be cold or hot. He wants them to be refreshing somebody or going ahead and blasting away and having just unmeasured heat and fervency while they're talking to him. But instead, he says that they're lukewarm. Ultimately, he says, basically, they're good for nothing. They, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna spit you out. I don't even like it. We know different 
different drinks and different things. We've talked about that. You've heard all the illustrations. But uh, I was talking with Brother Thren, and this is one of those times we were talking as opposed to just sitting there quiet from this morning. Uh, but here we are. We were talking about some things, and uh, while they were here, I made pizza. I made homemade pizza. And uh, if you, if you want to know way more than I know about homemade pizza, you talk to Mike McMillan. He'll hook you up. Uh, he's got it. Um, but uh, you go ahead and you make, you make dough, and some of you make dough. You make your own doughs uh, with breads and things or, uh, or pizza dough like I do. Uh, and you go ahead and you go to make dough. Now, there's one thing that is amazing, and I've messed this up before. You go ahead and, and you add all your dry ingredients Right, It's very basic. I use a very basic recipe. You add your flour and, and your salt and your sugar, and you add your yeast, your instant dry yeast. And then you go to add water. Now, maybe you know this and maybe you don't know this, uh, but if you add cold water, it doesn't really do anything. It doesn't activate the yeast. It needs, it needs some heat. But if you put in hot water, you kill the yeast. And it doesn't, it doesn't rise. But if it's lukewarm water, yeast thrives. So what does that have to do with anything? Well, isn't yeast making it leavened? Now, if it's hot, it doesn't work. And if it's cold, it doesn't work. and it didn't even get recorded. Amen. Um, I'm going back. We're doing it now. Um, and that yeast goes into that dough and you put water and you've got the other ingredients, right? The, the, sh- the sugar and things cause it to have something to eat and go ahead and thrive. But if that water is not the right temperature, that yeast can't do a thing. That leaven doesn't do a thing. And you and I both know all the verses, right? A little leaven, leaven at the whole lump. And we got to purge out the old leaven right in Corinthians and have a lump that's pure and all the things. And you know what the problem with the church that we uh, live in, the age that we live in? It loves to thrive on sin. And that's the real problem. The real problem is that they're lukewarm and he wants to spew them out of his mouth because they're full of sin. Because they allow all the other things to come in and they're not passionate about having Jesus Christ be preeminent and they're not ready to refresh anybody else because it's all about the rights of me. It's everything that I can get. 
And it's the sin of pride that aggravates and just goes ahead and just keeps building up. And that pride goes ahead and it starts building upon itself and it starts getting it and it's puffing it up and it's making it so big that nobody can go ahead and tell it what, what's right and what's wrong and even God can't show up and do anything for that church. Because they have decided that it's going to be them and it's nothing else. It's my rights and it's my way and it's how I want it to be. And the sin of pride is thriving because mankind is lukewarm and the church is lukewarm. And the Lord goes to take the test and you know what He says? You're just lukewarm. And I don't want anything to do with lukewarm. I would, I would that you were hot and fervent or you were cold and refreshing. But instead, your sin is allowed to thrive because you don't care one way or the other. You know what amazes me? It's that Christians don't care one way or the other what they're doing right or wrong. Apathy thrives. They look around and they go, oh well, what am I going to do? I think their new theme is, if you can't beat them, join them. And they go ahead and they go with the rest. Because they choose not to go ahead and take a stand and be hot or cold. Instead, they just stand there lukewarm and go, well, it's just another sin. Who cares? Jesus paid it all. What does it really matter? That's the sin of being lukewarm. Say, how do you know that? Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. He goes, you know what your problem is? I want to speak out because you're all these things. You think you're rich. You think you're increased with goods. You think you've got it all under control because you don't have all the problems everybody else may have. But the truth is, you have it worse than everybody else. Because gain is not godliness. And instead, you've put all the gain and the emphasis on the gain in this life, and you've lost out on everything eternal. That's the caution. The caution is, don't get sucked into the idea to think that we're great. Because we're not great. And the Lord may do great things for us, and might do great things through us, and might do great things to us. But the lump of clay is still a lump of clay. And it doesn't get to ask what the potter wants to do. It just gets to be in the hands of the potter. The church's condition, well, he wants them cold, he wants them hot, but they're just lukewarm. And so the Lord gives the church some counsel here. And the church's counsel is found in verse number 18, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich. And white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, that the shame of, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. He counsels them to buy three things from him. Notice all three of these come from him. I counsel thee to buy of me. They're from the one who's talking to him. They're talking, the angel that's come is giving them the message from the one who's been there since the beginning of the creation of God. They're talking to him and they're talking to God and the one who's a faithful and true witness, the amen, they're talking to him and his statement to them is, hey, I want you to buy of me. 
You can't get this anywhere else. He says, I want you to buy of me, number one, gold. Now we can run all the references. We won't. Uh, Luke chapter 12, you get back to Luke chapter 12 and you know what you have? You have them looking around and you've got the rich man and he's fared sumptuously. He's got all the things and he's got all of his stuff and he's going to tear down his barns and build greater barns and all that stuff shows up in chapter 12. You know what he says? Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose things shall all these be? Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moss and rust do not corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. He's reminding them, hey, guess what? We've got some wealth in heaven but you're so worried about your physical wealth and your physical well-being. He continues in that chapter and tells the disciples that, uh, you know, uh, why are you worrying about all the things? You know, don't worry about the, what you put on and what you eat and all that. He tells them, but uh, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Consider the lilies of the field. They toil not, neither do they spin. Yet Solomon in all his glory is not arrayed like one of these. He tells them about the sparrows, and he goes ahead and he feeds them, and he tells them about all these, he's taking care of all this stuff. You know what we worry about? We worry about the things here on the earth, and we stop looking at the spiritual wealth we could have been gaining by doing something for our Savior. So what's he counseling them to do? He's counseling them to forget about the wealth of this world and start reaching forth onto the things that they could lay up in heaven by doing something for him instead. Lukewarm Christian, you know what he does? He lets sin compound, and he doesn't do anything for his Savior. They get Jesus paid it all, and they forget all to him I owe. And he don't, they don't buy it. They don't want to buy the gold. Why? Because if, if any man suffer as a Christian, oh, if I buy that, it costs me because i got to pay for it. Give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. I don't want to pay for anything. That's where they are. He says, uh, white raiment. Now we know Revelation chapter 19 and verse number 8 that fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. They don't want righteousness. We've covered this already. Uh, they don't want righteousness. You know what they want? Selfishness and pride. Arrogancy. The latest seeing mindset is what can I get and what can I gain for me? It's all about me and self gratification, and the flesh is, is pre predominant throughout the age. It's absolutely predominant. What the flesh wants and the lust thereof, and they obey it and they go after it and they do all these things. That's the latest seeing mindset is what can I get? And you know what they've done? They just keep tainting the robes that God wanted to give them. They turn their righteousness back as if it's filthy rags again. And God says, I counsel thee to buy of me white raiment that thou mayest be clothed. Because when you stand in front of me, you're going to be naked and ashamed. You're going to have nothing to show for it. The latest see in church is lukewarm about serving God. They're lukewarm for living right. And they're lukewarm for wanting to see the spiritual things. He says, anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. 
Reminds me, of course, 2 Kings, right? Chapter 6. Elisha's there and the army has come and they're surrounded. His servant's real worried about the whole matter. Elisha, he's not worried about anything. And he says, Lord, open his eyes that he might see. And all of a sudden he gets to see a different army. A spiritual army the Lord had sent to protect him. And they're surrounding and protecting Elisha. Because somebody needed to see some things. And our problem oftentimes is that you and I are very bound to the physical. And we don't pay enough attention to any spiritual. Well, that broke and this went wrong and these problems happened. And, well, you know, it's just life. Well, maybe it's not just life. Maybe somebody's trying to get your attention. Maybe God's trying to get your attention. Maybe, maybe it's the devil trying to get in your way, but more than likely it's just the Lord trying to get your attention. Just trying to keep you from going the wrong direction, but you don't see it. We oftentimes, you know what he was doing with the disciples constantly was reminding them of the spiritual. Beware the leaven of the Pharisees. They couldn't figure out it was hypocrisy. They're looking around. He's fed 5,000 people. They're looking around like, it's because we didn't bring any bread. It's like, like, I need you to make bread for me. I do whatever I want to. Why do I need you to bring bread? I feed 5,000 people with five barley loaves and two small fishes, but, you know, whatever. I can do whatever I want to. You're going, I need you to see the spiritual. I need you to see what's actually happening. Balaam's there riding the donkey. He's beating his donkey. He's mad at his donkey. And finally the donkey gets tired of it, right? And all of a sudden the Lord opens his eyes. And he sees the angel of the Lord standing there with a sword in his hand ready to kill him. And what's the problem? He couldn't see what was in his way. And it was the angel of the Lord standing there ready to kill him. What's the Christian's problem? They never see the spiritual. They always want to dwell on the physical. It's always my coworker that bothers me. It's always that guy who stole my space. It's always those people. When it's probably never those people. Say, so what's the counsel? The counsel is stop worrying about the physical and start looking at the spiritual. The wealth you can have, the righteousness you can have, the peace with God you can have, the spiritual sight you can have so you can understand what's going on around you as opposed to constantly reacting to what the world is trying to get done. It's your choice. He says in verse number 19, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. So what's he doing? He loves you enough to tell you you're doing it wrong. Say, this church sounds awful. Yeah, but the Lord still loves them and rebukes them so He can chasten them and get them home. I appreciate the song you all sang tonight. Say, why? Because the Lord didn't give up right here on Laodicea. I look at that list and I think, that's pathetic. You might as well quit now. <laughs> Lord says, you don't have to quit yet. You're still breathing. That means I can still do something amazing. 
And he has a call to this church. The call is to repent. The call is to move. But the call, he noticed, wasn't to the whole. Right? His statement is right here. He says in verse number 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man, just one, if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. He says, hey, uh, I'm calling to the church and I'm calling and I'm standing here and I'm knocking at the door. I'm just waiting for anybody to open the door, just somebody, so I can have fellowship with anybody in this age. I'll take anybody that's willing to hear me, that's willing to open, that's willing to sup, that's willing to... And too many people hear the knock and they hear his voice. That makes me think of John chapter 10, right? The good shepherd. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life. My sheep hear my voice. There's a whole church right here, and he, they, they hear him. He's knocking, and they hear him knocking. And they hear his voice calling, saying, hey, Anybody in there? Adam, where art thou? I need somebody to open the door. And they ignore him. This is a church that's ignoring him. And they're going, what's that noise? Well, I don't really, I don't really need him to talk to me. We'll get the door when we come into some problems. We'll get the door when troubles show up and I really need him. But until then, he can stay over there. We'll put him in a box. Isn't that what the Catholics do? Isn't that what religion does? We'll put him in a box. We'll pull him out. He'll be our magic charm whenever we feel like it. That's what the nation of Israel did. They go into battle. They start losing. They go, oh, quick, fetch the ark so we can win. It doesn't work for them either. And the Christian goes, well, I don't really need him involved in my life day to day. I don't need fellowship with him all the time. He can stay outside and then when I want him, you know, because otherwise he makes me feel uncomfortable for being lukewarm. He keeps pointing out all those lukewarm areas of my life and telling me it's awful and I need to fix it. And I really don't feel comfortable with that. And if I do that, I might get fervent and I might get hot or I might actually be refreshing to somebody else. But instead, I really like what I have right now and I'm real comfortable the way that I am. And I hear him calling, but I really don't want to have him in here. So I'll get the door when I need him. But I'm rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. That's the status of the church. And he's out there going, can someone just let me in? Say, so what's the church's call? The church's call is to hear his voice and open the door. God is a gentleman. He is an honest-to-goodness gentleman. A Calvinist is crazy. God's a gentleman. So what do you mean by that? He doesn't make anybody get saved. He doesn't make anybody serve him. 
And he certainly doesn't make anybody fellowship with him. If he wants to, he could bust down the door, plow his way in, and make you submit to his greatness. But instead, he stands outside and just says, Anybody home? Because I'd like some fellowship. Anybody home? I'd like to sup. And I brought dinner. If you'd be willing, I'd let you sit down with me. The creator of the universe goes, I'll let you sit down with me. Makes me think of Mephibosheth, doesn't it? Lay him on both his feet, crippled from a fall, able to sit at the king's table all the days of his life. Why would you want to eat anywhere else? But you fill up with all the world's wisdom and all the world's wants and all their desires and it becomes your desires. And Dr. Howe gave me a little, nice little card. It's hanging up in my office. And it says, sometimes we're not hungry for Christ because we're too full of ourselves. You don't want the fellowship because you like what you've got. And you've forgotten how great things it is when you get to sit down and eat with Him. You've forgotten to taste and see that the Lord is good. You've forgotten what it's like to sit down and sup with Him because you're so used to Him being outside. That's the church. That's the church of the Laodicean. That Laodicean is content and perfectly content with going, God, you're great out there. It's wonderful. I know you're right there. And I hear you knocking, so I know right where you are. And you'll be there whenever I need you. But to walk in fellowship with you? You know what he says? He says, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. He's not busting down the door, and he's not making you get close. He just says, if you want me close, you make the first move. I'll be there. I'll be there. I'll take up the gap. You may feel like you're far away. Take a step. I'll close the gap. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. But it's up to you if you want to be that close. It's on you to open the door to have fellowship. It's on you to bring him in and actually sup with him and take some time. It makes me think, I'm just about done. It makes me think of Luke chapter 24. Turn over to Luke 24 and I'll, I'll be done. Luke chapter 24, I'm not going to read this whole thing. We'd practically read the whole chapter. Luke 24, we know what's happened now, right? He's already been crucified. The Lord Jesus Christ is crucified. He's been buried. He's risen again. The women have seen him. Peter doesn't know what to think. Verse number 13, there's two disciples on the road to Emmaus, right? That's the chapter. These two guys are on the road to Emmaus, and they're walking along, and somebody shows up. And we know it's Jesus, but they don't know it's Jesus. And he's asking them, well, why are you so sad? What's going on? Why is your countenance falling? They're, they're saying, man, don't you know? Are you a stranger around here? I mean, Jesus has been crucified and he's dead and somebody stole the body and we don't know what's going on. And 
he starts telling them about himself. <laughs> well, don't you know he's supposed to suffer all these things? And he starts opening up the scriptures, and from Genesis all the way out, he starts talking about himself. And they have no idea it's him. And they get all the way out there, and oh, we'll, we'll grab verse number 28. And they drew nigh unto the village whither they went, and he made as though he would have gone further. He goes, all right, guys. They say, oh, this is our stop. He says, okay. That's great. I'm going to keep walking, though. It was great talking with you guys. It was fun while it lasted. And they said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait, you could just stay with us tonight. They constrained him. In verse 29, abide with us. For it's toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. You know why he's a gentleman? Because if you'd invite him, he'd come. If you'd invite him, he'd come. He, would, he wouldn't miss it. He's inviting you. If you'd open the door and go, yeah, come on in. He'd step right in and he'd have a feast ready to go for you to sup with him. And it came to pass as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them and their eyes were opened. Well, Lysab got on there and they knew him and he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened up to us the scriptures? Say, so what did they want back? They wanted him back. Maybe tonight you'd say, Well, I know the Lord's been knocking for a little while. And I know I've been a little lukewarm and I've been kind of, my temperature's been moving toward the middle. And I'm not just been hot at times, and I'm not just been cold at times. I just like, I really like being comfortable. So I really like my lukewarm life. Well, then you're in Laodicea. And the Lord's got some counsel for you. He's got some stuff for you to buy, and it's a spiritual life as opposed to the mundane physical life that you're stuck in. And he's knocking at a door. Just asking for anybody that hears him, if they just open the door, he can go ahead and have some great fellowship. And all of a sudden, you'd find out, maybe it's not so bad having him in. We forget how great it is to have great fellowship with our Savior sometimes. And then it gets restored, and we go, man, why did I not want this before? Why was I so consumed with my pleasure of sin for a season? when I knew it was going to end and my pleasures with him are eternal and they'd never end and I'd have peace and I'd have joy and I'd have rest I'd have his strength and his power and his might I'd have his wisdom and his direction and his guidance I'd have a walk that doesn't have to be a Laodicean walk in a Laodicean world He's calling to the individual. He's calling to the individual. He says, hey, any man who wants me, ladies, if you want him, 
all the way down to the children. If you want him, he'll, he'll come in with you. He'll come in and he'll sup with you and he'll meet with you and he'll have fellowship with you and other people will look at you like you're crazy because you'll move from being lukewarm to being fervent or being refreshing. He'll put you in cold or hot and you'll go in that mode and you will be so excited because you're finally doing what he wanted you to do. You're finally having the fellowship that he wants you to have with him. And you won't be a latest seeing Christian. He loves you. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Recognize it. Recognize that your relationship isn't what it's supposed to be, and you've left him outside. And say, hey, I don't want him out there anymore. I want him in. I want him in fellowshipping with me all the time. That gets you out of a Laodicean mindset. That gets you out of a Laodicean slump. That gets you from being lukewarm to being cold or hot. Let's go ahead and stand. I don't know about you, but that's a daily choice. It's a daily choice if you're going to fellowship. It's a daily choice if you're going to open the door. It's a daily choice. But it's always your choice. He's not going to make you fellowship, and he's not going to make you go that direction. It's going to be you and him, and it's your choice. You'll be as close to him as you want to be, because he always wants to be close. Perhaps we could get out of a Laodicean age with a trumpet sounding and us going home and the Lord saying, thank you for serving me and not being a Laodicean. Thank you for staying cold or hot, fighting with me, doing what we ought to do. We can fellowship with him in a world that has no idea what it's like. If you'd open a door, Father, we pray you would bless the invitation now. You'd work in hearts, and we love you, and we pray. Father, you'd get the praise and the honor and the glory. Even so, come, Lord Jesus.